Benvenidos and welcome to the Platform Latino podcast where we profile, highlight, and bring to the airwaves the successes of our community and those helping us to get us there. I'm your host, Osvaldo Valdez, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. guys here today I have a Cornell graduate um, owner and founder of the salsa project and also a part of the management team at the Bronx Brewery and we're gonna hear and talk and I'd like to introduce Brandon Espinosa hi good morning how's everyone doing uh, excited to be here uh, with Osvaldo looking forward to the conversation today thank you thank you and um, you go by the nickname the salsa pops is that just part of the project or is that something you've always been called um, so it's a, a recent name that I have um, embraced. Um, so when I started this project back in 2018, um, uh, kind of the impetus and the catalyst to starting this project uh, was when my daughter was born. Um, and for me, it was very important for her to uh, understand her culture. And for me, the vehicle um, for that and to preserve that culture was the music, which I love, right? And so since she was an infant, we would take her to concerts and performances. And one day uh, I was at Lehman here in the Bronx and uh, La India was performing and I get up. The music was just moving me. So I got up, uh, I picked her up and I started dancing in the aisle. Uh, intermission came. My sister runs up. And she's like, dude, everybody has their phones out. They're recording you. You're going to go viral, yada, yada. Um, and she was like, you're the salsa pops. <laughs> and we laughed about it. And the rest is history. I kind of thought it was like a funny, clever name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it fit as well because, uh, you know, part of my experience growing up with salsa uh, was going to concerts young and performances as a kid. Um, so the opportunity to uh, do that with my daughter is very special to me and a name that uh, is funny, but one that I embrace and I think is uh, pretty accurate. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. And um, so, yeah, let's go back to like your, your upbringing. So you, you were um, you, like me, you're Cuban and Puerto Rican, I found out. And um, do you... Like where where did you grow up? You grew up, I'm guessing the Bronx and yeah. So a little, little bit about my story. Uh, I'm a Bronxite, right? Um, but I wasn't born in the Bronx, right? And often people are like, you know, you're from where you were born, and I kind of disagree with that. Uh, I think you're from where you spent most time, right? Gotcha. And uh, you're from wherever you think you're from, and you know how that environment has shaped who you are today. And for me, that's the Bronx. So I was born in Manhattan. Um, when I was months, we moved to Florida. Oh, so okay. I lived in Florida, Kissimmee specifically, from months to the age of nine. Um, and then when I turned nine, we came back to New York and we came to the Bronx. So I've been living in the Bronx over 21 years. Um, so I would argue yeah. I'm from the Bronx. I went to elementary school, middle school, high school mm -hmm. in the Bronx, and then went upstate for college. Um, so that's kind of been my experience. Um, and it's also been one uh, that's been pretty special to the Salsa Project and to the work that I'm doing because you'll often hear that the Bronx is referred to as El Condado de la Salsa. Um, and so just growing up, going to St. Mary's Park, Cretona Park, and Orchard Beach for all the uh, Salsa concerts and performances, 
um, was special. And also the Bronx just has this very rich history of Puerto Rican immigration, immigration in general, and, and the music. So uh, funny, funny fact is that, you know, where the Bronx Brewery is located, which is where I work, is about maybe six blocks from the Mott Haven area, which is where Johnny Pacheco grew up. Wow. wow. Um, and uh, a lot of people think Johnny Pacheco is Puerto Rican. He's actually Dominican. Um, so that kind of brings you into the whole story of Fania and whatnot. But uh, proud to be a Bronxite. I still live in the Bronx with my family. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about my journey uh, from birth to, to the Bronx. Well, yeah, my, my mother was, um, and she's on the last podcast I published, but she was born and raised in the Bronx through high school. So I feel like once somebody is born or lived in the Bronx, it stays with them forever. So she would always remind. Is she still in the Bronx? <laughs> no, no. She So in high school, she moved to Florida. Okay. And then, then she, she finished up there. Well, not finished up there, but finished high school and college there. She's a Floridian then. Yeah, she's a Floridian, <laughs> yeah. but, but she, she rubs Bronx to, you know, even, you know, most people are like, oh, my mom, like Barbara, she's from the Bronx, even though she's lived most of her life in Florida. But She's a Bronxite, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's whatever you rep and what you carry in your soul. Definitely. Going to school through high school in the Bronx, I yeah, think, would yeah. merit. It's funny. We talk about Florida a lot, uh, and it's a huge, huge, huge uh, area in the U.S. that has a high Puerto Rican population. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Maybe one day I could take one of my events on the road uh, into Florida. Maybe Orlando, Kissimmee, I don't know, but that's where the yeah, concentration is. And then you got the Cubans up in Miami. So yeah, no, definitely. And it, and you know, I, I I could share any of my contacts too when you when you decide to do that. Uh, my parents live outside of Orlando now, but we were born and raised. Well, I was born and raised in South Florida, like north of Miami. So I had a strong Cuban influence, but as well as um my mom's Puerto Rican. So it was a little bit of both, but now I'm seeing the Puerto Rican side of my family now going back to to Orlando area and that part of the family. It's like that's it's that's so a, funny. So you were raised with the Acere que vola, but um. So 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 you were raised in born uh, you're born in Manhattan, mo- lived in in Florida, and then raised most of the your your formative, formative years, years yeah. exactly in, in the Bronx, and then you went to Cornell. Yeah. So a great school, huh? Yeah, man. So uh, probably one of the life-changing moments uh, for me in my life. Uh, First-generation college graduate. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was very interesting, unique uh, experience for me. Um, but one that literally has changed my life. So growing up in the Bronx, right, this notion when you're young, you want to be cool and I wasn't the cool kid, right? I, I kind of straddled both worlds through sports. So uh, I played basketball and baseball in high school. Um, but I was a nerd, man. I, I enjoyed studying and, you know, I was living with my mom. And uh, my mom was like on top of me all the time, like a true Boricua mother. Where's the homework? Have you finished it? You know, get home at this time. And um, I went to an all-boy Catholic school in the Bronx, St. Raymond's. Uh, high school for boys, and uh, it really provided structure for me. Um, and the discipline that you get from sports um, really kept me, you know, focused on the goal ahead. And uh, I knew I wanted to go to college um, because to me that was an avenue for more opportunity. And I know my parents had busted their ass to get me to the point 
of uh, being prepared for college. Uh, and I wanted to really embrace that opportunity that I was so fortunate to have. Um, so I graduated valedictorian of St. Raymond's um, and uh, ended up. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, it, it was no no small feat, but um, one that I was very proud of. And mm. you know, dressing you know our our student you know population and my classmates uh, was special. And I get to Cornell and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like you know, different world, four hours north, um, and a lot of greenery and trees and farmland, and I'm like, where am I? And that first year at Cornell was rough, um, mm -hmm. coming from being at the top of you know my ac academic career to then going to Cornell, where everyone is super smart, super accomplished, um, and a go getter. Uh, was a rude awakening for me, and um, I almost felt like I wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, so that first year was a lot of reflection and being homesick and thinking like, do I belong here? And then, you know, as time evolved, I kind of found my place within, uh, the university and within the school and, um, ended up doing really well academically and making Dean's list my last like two years, um, being part of two fraternities, both the business and the social, um, being part of philanthropy and community and giving back and, uh, started off as an economics major, uh, okay. thinking I wanted to go into banking. Uh, when you, <laughs> when you don't grow up, you know, upper yeah. class, you know, you, you want to be rich. Mm. So the job coming out of school that pays you six figures a year is banking. Yeah. Um, especially being from New York, knowing and being around that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, joining, um, my business fraternity, which was called Delta Sigma Pi, um, we took a trip and it's an annual trip that they do to the city mm -hmm. and I was able to visit different banks and went to what was formerly known as Lehman Brothers <laughs> and quickly realized it wasn't the environment that I wanted mm -hmm. to be a part of. Very sterile, black and white. Um, and at that moment, I was taking a lot of classes in the hotel school. Okay. Um, so I ended up using all of my free electives by taking courses in the hotel school. Uh, so I made that transfer after my freshman year. And, um, but, and then their, their hospitality school is like one of the best in the world. So yeah, man. It, it was, you out. know, went to school with you know, classmates, their parents own this and that. And, you know, here's this, you know, Boricua Cubano trying to figure <laughs> it out. Um, but I, I love people and I love mm -hmm. engaging with people, which is kind of brought me to the work that I do today. Um, and one of you know, the best hotel schools in the world, you know, the best, I would argue. Mm -hmm. um, and you just get a well-rounded education from taking finance to business operations to culinary classes to beers and wines, right? Oh, wow. So it was uh, a small school, um, but that's where I felt uh, safest. It's where I felt most energized. It's where I felt mo most empowered. And uh, yeah, graduated and what a feeling, you know, to, <laughs> to see my mom, my dad and, and the looks on their faces, um, becoming a first generation college graduate for my family. And since then, you know, my sister has gone back to school and recently graduated from NYU and uh, super inspiring Very story there. And uh, yeah, so I, I took that and I was like, now I have this degree. How do we leverage it in the world? Yeah, well, one quick question about your college thing. I, when I was doing the, my research, I noticed that you, you mentioned that you're in a social fraternity. Um, Alpha Phi Alpha, which is a, a historically um, 
black african-american fraternity and it was first multicultural fraternity founded at cornell yeah and i was i was curious like what made you gravitate towards that i'm I'm part of a a latin fraternity a latino fraternity lambda theta phi i was just curious of like what what made you gravitate towards that fraternity versus others being a latino and and sure um so as i was going through this right so i joined my business fraternity first um and it really anchored me from like a business professional uh, academic perspective but kind of that community that i wanted was missing right and i gotcha. feel like you know people call fraternities educated gangs right <laughs> but i think it's really you know a safe space um where you can join like-minded people that are studying that have the same goals trying to do better um at the collegiate level right mm-hmm. and then you have the graduate level um so as i was doing my research it wasn't something that i was like oh i'm going to do this i want to do this and on cornell's campus you know uh, lambda upsilon lambda mm-hmm. was founded there we also had lambda theta phi um and i knew people in both of those organizations um uh, but i wanted to do my own research right and i didn't want to join an organization just because it was culturally right mm-hmm. um i also wanted to identify with its aims and whatnot um, so in doing research, you know, you're, you're looking at all these organizations, both, you know, Latino and multicultural and African-American, but mm-hmm. also organizations outside of that, um, which are very prominent on Cor- Cornell's campus. Um, and, you know, when it came down to at the end of the day is, you know, I had some family um, that were part of the fraternity. Uh, a lot of the people that I had interacted with um, in my younger years just happened to be a part of this. And I really looked up to them. Um, and, and they were very accomplished. Um, so it was kind of the role models and, and, and the people that I had encountered in my life just so happened to be part of this fraternity. And then when looking at Cornell's rich history of this organization and being the first uh, and some of the people that I had uh, engaged with that were bringing back the chapter at Cornell. So I was part of the resurrecting line, uh, which was, uh, you know, we were follow eight. And, uh, that was the first line back after some time, you know, on and off campus. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were line of 17 and the people that were interested were already like friends and the rest is history. Right. And you could talk about the rich history of this organization, you know, Martin Luther King and Jesse Owens. Especially at that, that, that campus. At that campus. And, you know, it started off as a social studies club, Mm -hmm. right. Trying to form community and space for, you know, underrepresented students to like figure this Cornell journey out primarily white institution, but mm-hmm. Cornell has, uh, you know, the, the, I, I always call them kind of the innovators or the pioneers of higher education, especially in the Ivy league. Mm-hmm. Um, but accepting the first you know class of multicultural students. And now you see a lot of, you know, emphasis on diversity and inclusion, which is very important, especially in the day and age we live in where our world is just becoming more and more diverse. Cornell was kind of on the frontier of uh, that conversation and thought. That's amazing. And it's funny you say that because that's one of my my goals for this podcast is like you you said you looked and you did your research and you mentioned Martin Luther King and and all these other prominent people that were part of Alpha Phi Alpha. But, you know, when, when it comes to Latinos, it's hard to like quickly spit off names like that, you know, unless you're like really engrossed or you're a Latin American studies major. Like I want it to be more mainstream, both Latino and you know other other cultures that they're able to spew off, like Brandon Espinosa and you know like the Salsa Project and and tell your history. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's an important you know I feel like 
you know the african american population they they've done a great job since the the civil rights movement to establish these names in their history and now it's our turn you know to to really yeah man and I, I commend you on what you're doing i mean we need more latino role models and um this platform hopefully will help amplify that voice and for me it's not latino african american right we all have the same experience. We come kind of from the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's how do we connect with people that look like us, speak like us, come from the same communities, but are doing awesome things that you would pass in the street, right? Exactly. Uh, it almost reminds me of like a Humans of New York sort of thing where you're amplifying the voice of Latinos um, that may be overlooked as just, you know, oh, just another regular person, not sure yeah. what they're up to. Um, and hopefully one day we're at a point where our youth and, uh, those that are come coming after us can say like, Oh, Osvaldo Valde, you know, mm-hmm. like Plataforma Latino <laughs> and, uh, Brandon Espinosa, the Salsa Project, Bronx Brewery. Um, it's important. So thank you for the work that you're doing with oh, the, uh, thank you podcast for, for being on here. Now, so tell me a little bit, you said you're inspired by, by the beautiful story of you dancing with your daughter with the Salsa Project. What's your like? What's the platform like? The the base, the mission of the salsa project. So the salsa project uh, mission goal, um, if you will, is to protect, preserve, and ensure that salsa doesn't die uh, within our communities, specifically the younger generations. Um, Thirty years old, identify as a millennial, um, and growing up, like I had mentioned before, my mother would always take me to these concerts. Mark Anthony, La India, Sonora Ponceña, Gran Combo, Calde Leon, uh, you, know, you, you name it. You know, I, I saw them and I was a kid and I would look around and I was often the youngest, right? Uh, and I was like, we need to bring more kids and youth out to these events to experience the culture, right? Um, and for me, it's bigger than salsa music it's uh salsa is the story of our cultures the narrative of our people of our struggle um and that's what music does right and music is this universal thing as i would argue is beverage and food right and it brings people together from all walks of life so for me you know with this goal and mission in mind it was thinking how how was i going to achieve this goal right and now we just celebrated a year with this project so the idea has always been there Um, But then when my daughter was born, that was the catalyst that pushed me into action. And so now the project is rooted around four main pillars. Um, So everybody knows us for our events. Um, And I say that's one piece of this bigger (laughs) picture. Um, But that's kind of what's most forward facing. Mm -hmm. But um, I have produced two documentaries. Um, and that's part of the, 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 the mission is to do kind of what you're doing Mm -hmm. with established musicians, up and coming musicians, dancers, promoters, uh, historians of, of the music, uh, and amplify that voice via these documentaries. And I've had the honor of uh, interviewing Rafael Itier, founder of a Gran Combo, Jerry Riva, singer for a Gran Combo for many years, Don Perignon, um, and some of the newer generation like NAGO, um, and, uh, and Geraldito Riva, um, uh, I've also interviewed here locally in the Bronx, uh, Miguel Amadeo, you know, runs the oldest Latin record store in, in the Bronx, right? Casa Amadeo, mm. uh, to Eddie Montalvo, youngest wow. member of Fania, right? Yeah. Um, Conguero. And so it, it, it's been such a fun journey doing that via these documentaries. And I have 
five ideas for five more that I'm planning to work on next year. But, but that's one piece, right? The second piece is, uh, the events, right? And so I'm working on, uh, my next holiday event, uh, which will be December 22nd. Uh, so it's on a Sunday. Everybody will be in that festive, uh, uh, mood, hopefully, and, uh, looking for a charity to partner with, to give back. Because, uh, you know, during the season of giving, it's very important to uh, have that element be a part Definitely. of what we're doing um, and, and some of the goals that we have for the future. Uh, then I, I've released merchandise, okay. which you could find online on our website, thesalsaprojectnyc.com. Um, but essentially, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to wear that represented me that was cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working with our graphic designer, we were able to create things. So I drop a new merch item. Uh, every event, and then I have my core staple flagship items, uh, such as the hat I'm wearing today. And then the last piece of it uh, is the online site, which is hopefully creating a platform for other artists um, to amplify their voice. So whether you're a poet, a painter, a writer, a chef, a mixologist, the work that you're doing, right? Um, as long as it's relevant to culture and salsa, we want to get you on our website to amplify that voice. Cause one day I do think the salsa project will be that destination for our generation mm-hmm. to figure out what's happening salsa wise. How do we, you know, go back and learn about, you know, the, the forefathers, if you will, <laughs> uh, uh, of salsa and, and what it's meant for our community. Yeah. And I've, I've always grown up knowing about salsa and, you know, the, the music, and I, when I was doing some research, I didn't realize that it was it was almost birthed in the Bronx, that it was a, a combination of different styles of Latin music. And my, my grandfather, he moved here from Cuba to the Bronx, and he would always tell me about, like, I do the cha-cha and the mambo and all this, and uh, danza. And and I was like, my, he would love dancing. And even when he, he was probably hanging out at the <laughs> Hunts Point Palace yeah, and the who, Corso, who the who Cheetah. Knows? I remember my, when my uncle retired, my grandpa was already in a wheelchair. His legs were, were pretty pretty bad. But he got on the dance floor, and he was even doing You could see him trying to move his hips. And they, they told me, they're like, hey, uh, your grandpa's exerting too much. Go get him off the dance I'm like, I'm not pulling him off that dance floor. <laughs> and I even went in there, and like, Grandpa, you're cool. He's like, you better not take me off me. <laughs> He's like, I'm living my best life, basically. Dude, the music, man. Yeah. It, uh it's a feeling. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, s- similar to, uh, you know, what Nike says, uh, if you have a body, you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. I honestly think if you have a body, you're a dancer, right? Yeah. And th- this music, it's indescribable for me, mm-hmm. like the, the movements and, and whatnot. Obviously, there's you know, the it's way to dance salsa and yeah. stay on beat. But like what you experience with the music is, is very personal. Um, and kind of what you were mentioning, like our events, we get people younger to older all walks of life and it's just so beautiful to see them come together Mm -hmm. around the music and the vibrancy and the energy in the space uh is really unmatched and you know while you were commenting now around you know your grandfather and coming here and um i kind of chuckled in my head because the other day i was at a talk with dr marta moreno vega um and uh she had mentioned is like ah salsa and that's like a newer phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the commer- commercial commercialization of this music, um, but often referred to as Afro-Cuban music, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it really is. Its roots are in Africa, Yoruba, and it actually came from Cuba mm-hmm. and the drums. Um, and then, you know, Puerto Ricans adopted it. And Dominican. the birthplace here in New York is the Bronx, right? Mm-hmm. And 
it was when, you know, Jerry Masucci and these influences that you had mentioned, like Mambo, Swing, Cha-Cha, Wawanko, mm-hmm. um, you name it, the list goes on, the Boleros and all of that. Jerry Masucci, which was, you know, the Jewish lawyer, and Johnny Pacheco, who founded Fania, it was this new sound, right? Like all of these different instruments that had this influence from everywhere. It was like, let's call it salsa, right? <laughs> and that has kind of stuck. So for me, telling me that it's not salsa is almost like stripping me from a piece uh, of my identity mm-hmm. um, because I've always known it as salsa and I know its roots are deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just interesting, you know, to hear. And yeah, everyone has their yeah. perspective on it, but you're totally spot on that. And what your grandfather had mentioned, like it's influenced by so many other genres. uh, If you were to strip this down to like singular, like layers and building blocks. Awesome. And um, you mentioned that I I saw some of your documentaries or pieces of them on on YouTube and I can reference them in the um, in the blog post. But how how were you able to meet these these pioneers of salsa that that are thank God still around and you know yeah man it's uh you know I kind of start to uh, blush a little bit talking about it because it's one of those things you see these guys on stage you've read all about them and uh, and now you're in their house or you're interviewing them shaking their hands and talking about what they've committed their life to. And, uh, I've been fortunate. So my mom used to work for Fania, uh, way back when. Um, so she has many friends in the music. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, and it's really been, you know, how they say like seven degrees of separation. It's honestly the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, via my mom and some of her friends, they've been able to connect me to these people. Uh, in other instances, you know, La Bruja stepped up and helped me and, and, you know, other occasions, I just walked into Casa Madeo. I'm like, yeah. Miguel Amadeo, can I interview you? <laughs> like, sure, mamo, hablamos, let's go. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of how it's been. Um, you know, as I mentioned at my in my last event, I'm taking this on the road to Puerto Rico and throwing my first event on March 9th, uh, which is a Monday, the day after Dia Nacional de la Salsa in Puerto Rico. And we're throwing this event in La Factoria. But while I'm there... Yeah, I want to interview people, so mm. uh, I guess I'll say it here first, but I'm coming for Hiberto Santa Rosa. I want Pete Perignon. Um, I want to interview uh, Jeremy Bosch and Geraldito again and kind of the new generation of salsa. Uh, one day, hopefully, Mark Anthony, La India, um, you know, maybe Sonora Ponceña, Imael Miranda is definitely on my list. <laughs> Um, and then I also want to get, you know, the local people, like the little conjuntos mm-hmm. that you, you see around because that, that's what this project is about. Right. And, you know, how do we support the new sound and, and amplify the voice of people that have been doing this, but have not achieved the fame and fortune that uh, some of the big names that we all know as salseros uh, have. Yeah, so if you're any any listeners out there know or have any connects, you know, hit me up and hit Brandon up. You please, know, please, please, please. Connection. It take it take it takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. So so your 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 long term goal with the salsa project is just to be like a source of the the history and preservation, but also at the same time is is introduce it or keep it alive with que viva la salsa, like keep it alive with the younger generations. Like what are how how are you actioning this? Is it- yeah, so you know, right now the, the the program and kind of our 
goal as a company is anchored around those four pillars that I had mentioned. Uh, but some things I want to do that I think are very important is more partnerships and collaborations mm-hmm. um, with brands and uh, particularly schools. Um, I think it's important as you know, public schools particularly keep stripping uh, funding for extracurricular activities. This genre is, is very important to history. Um, and it's important for these kids and youth to know. So I would love to start getting into schools, both private and public, like it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but sharing more about the history of the music, but also the dance, right? And almost making it like part of the PE curriculum, if you will. Uh, so that's a, a big goal I have for next year on how to continue amplifying this voice, but more so preserving and protecting, ensuring that it doesn't die. Um, and then there's other like brands that I want to work with that have a bigger voice that can generate probably bigger crowds mm-hmm. that will help me along this way. Um, but those are the, the two main goals for 2020 is like integrating into schools uh, as well as collaborating and partnering with more brands and people um, longer term, you know, maybe it's opening up a space um, and that's like way down the mm-hmm. road, but it could be a cultural hub where, you know, it may not just be an event space, but incorporated with, food and beverage and and all these things that I've mentioned around artistry and whatnot that really highlight uh, the story of our people. So we'll see. I I mentioned that my one year event one day we'll throw an event in Madison Square Garden and we'll sell it out. So that'll be awesome. From my mouth to God's ears. (laughs) Um, But uh, we'll, we'll see. That's uh, I'm very ambitious uh, with the project and I'm very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So we'll see uh, what the uh, the road ahead has in store. Yeah, one thing when I was reading more about the the salsa project, it, an idea that came to mind is like you know how they have the mommy and me programs where their mother brings their their infant, maybe like with a toddler, like you know, um, parents are the mommy and me or daddy and me, you know, and and have like you know started young. Unfortunately, my parents love to dance, but they didn't really teach me much. Uh, I learned bas- the basic steps in a few quinceañeras that I did, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I just I, I still remember the the salt the salt. I got you there. Got you. <laughs> that means but, you need to come to a salsa yeah, project, yeah. Event, man. We give a free hour of uh, dance instruction every event we throw, and I think that's kind of what makes us you know a little mm-hmm. special. Um, so that that barrier and that fear that you may have and not wanting to come or dance is kind of broken down. Yeah, I want to I want to learn how to do it without having a few drinks first. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then you're gonna be a professional salsero, man. Once the drinks are added, but uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah and have some little claves and yeah. little bongos and, and starting them off young. It's a good interaction with the parents and their kids, and you know they you know learn the basic steps and just have fun. You know, it could yeah. be like a little hour activity. And, it's and, funny what you what you hinted at there around. Um, you know, your parents not teaching you. That's a big part of this, right? And I think, you know, back then, our parents didn't want to teach us how to speak Spanish or dance, like wanted you to get as far away from your cultural identity Mm -hmm. to assimilate into America, right? And I think a huge miss and something that many of the youth and people from our generation that I've spoken to that don't speak Spanish or don't dance kind of regret Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're moving to the opposite, right? Like how valuable it is to speak two languages and particularly Spanish and the pride that people have in their identity and the connection uh, that people are yearning for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know we both, right, have an opportunity to really bring that back and show that 
you know, somos orgulloso de nuestra patria and who we are as Latino, Latino Americans, you know, mm -hmm. in this, uh, in this country. And, um, you're, you're, you're seeing brands paying more attention and it's going to be a miss if they're not. And we just happen to be the part of it, Definitely. not necessarily the outsider looking in. And mm -hmm. uh, I think we have a civic obligation to, uh, really, you know, take pride and promote and push our culture forward. Awesome. And then um, I, maybe this might be a little controversial or poking poking the uh, sore wound, but like, what's your your view on reggaeton? Do you feel like it's it's killed the salsa movement or kind of overshadowed it? So you know, reggaeton is not salsa. I listen I, to reggaeton, right? No, 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 no. Um, I do think like with the new reggaeton phenomenon. And when I say new, it's been around forever, right? Back mm -hmm. Biko say Tego Calderon, and all the people that we probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Grew up listening to to like the new wave uh, with the Jake Balvings and the Bad Bunnies and you know the Malumas and you know the people that have kind of this reggaeton influence. Uh, I think it's important, right? And you'll see like Andy Montagne released a reggaeton song, um, and it was like a salsaton, um, <laughs> which is what it was referred to. So I think it's good, and I think you know if you're a salsa musician, you want to put out a few songs, right, to attract the younger generation that's mm -hmm. really listening to the music. But I do think salsa lives on its own. Okay. Um, and I do think like if you're really, if you're a salsero releasing an album, it's fine to have, you know, an influence here and there, but you should still be sticking to like the true roots of what salsa is. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a purist salsero. Like mm -hmm. I like my salsa to be salsa. Um, <laughs> and uh, I like my reggaeton to be reggaeton. And granted, I'll listen to a mix. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we need to give an opportunity on radio, right, for these newer artists that may be, you know, influenced by the reggaeton and have a little bit of that influence in their music. Um, because it's important, right? How are you going to attract the youth and get the youth to listen if the sound is not what they really want, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's this balance of modern and old, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, but yeah, I love the reggaeton and I love salsa. For me, I want to listen to them separately and I'm okay if it has the influence. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's also a music that is talking about our culture and our struggle and who we are. Um, but you know, let's keep salsa salsa and let's keep it pure, uh, and do collaborations here and there. Um, but for me, que viva la salsa, right? <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, no, I feel like it needs a good balance. You, you, you know, if you go to more Latin bars or, or clubs, it, the majority is, you know, reggaeton. And, you know, you hear that more often and it's, it's, I think it's more out there. But salsa is like, you know, the roots of it. I feel like that's what they listen to at home. You know, I, I doubt grandmothers are listening to Bad Bunny or Maluma. But, <laughs> but they, um, you know, they have their, their old culture. So you, you, you're, up bringing, you're bringing your, 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 the next generation up with that. But, you know, I'm just thinking for the next one, you know, is it is it overshadowing too much with our younger population that that maybe it's that missing ingredient that they don't know the origins coming from salsa and merengue, you know, that that, that really influenced to to keep that, you know, I feel I feel like, it, you know, it was a, it was a natural progression, you know, because yeah. when they had the crossover artists, you know, Fania coming into the U.S. And and Cruz, someone and, like Bad Bunny, right? He gives a lot of homage uh, mm -hmm. to the roots of salsa. Right. Yeah. I respect that a lot. And I think most reggaetoneros do, right? Yeah. Um, but their genre is reggaeton and los salsero is salsa, salsa. right? Yeah. Um, and I think 
as time progresses, we're going to see more collaborations between these two worlds, uh, especially in Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, for the older gen- generation, like my mother's generation, I don't think it will ever resonate or really stick. And the more pure form of salsa mm. will be what they still seek and yearn for. Um, and uh, you have that new generation, right? That's coming up playing awesome salsa. And I can mention a few names and you'd probably be like, who? Um, because I don't think they've been given the platform yet and the radio hasn't given them an opportunity, but people like Jeremy Bosch and Lo Hachero and Pete Perignon and Enejedo. Some of these bands have been around for a while, um, but it's kind of forging your way because often, you know, you may be in the shadows of these legends, right? Definitely. So. I just thought of an idea, like maybe we can um, create a Spotify like playlist of some of these new saceros, and, and maybe you can help um, put that together. I, I want to have like a radio station sort of yeah. thing, whether it's like online. It's one of the goal. I have like a goal sheet for this project, but have maybe my sister who you know knows a lot about the music, or my yeah. dad, or my mom, or somebody uh, that wants to take on this project, but just create mixes. Yeah. But that live like on a radio and maybe doing something like this. No, uh, I know on Spotify you can you can just pick your songs that you like that are already on Spotify and put a playlist and make it public. So we can we can maybe work together. Put it I, out I'm not, there. I'm yeah, not putting yeah, any yeah. pressure on uh, you. No, but. no, it's all good, man. But that's awesome. And then like so so the salsa project's your your heart and your passion and and I, and I love it and anything I can do to help. But then your your day job, I guess, would be um, part of the management team at the Bronx Brewery. How how did you get yeah. it? Have you always had a passion for beer? Like, yeah, man. So it, it's I'm fortunate to be in a space where, you know, my job and my career is what I'm passionate about, and then what I do like on the side with the salsa project is also what I'm passionate about. So these two worlds together, it's, a rare uh, it, it's very <laughs> rare, right? Um, and yeah, I love the Bronx Brewery. I, I've been there uh, in March. Will be about three years. Um, I started off in an events and community role there. Um, and kind of worked my way up into the management team and now currently the GM for, for the space and our events and what we do. Um, but I went to school for food and beverage, right? Okay. So hospitality has always been uh, in my blood. My dad worked in the hospitality field for over 40 years. Um, and so people and engaging, interacting and guest experience has always been important to me. Um, when I learned that they were opening a brewery in the Bronx, uh, I was like, holy cow, like that's incredible. <laughs> and so I applied to work there um, when I was graduating from college and uh-huh. they were small. They were just getting started in 2011 and oh, sorry, you know, I'm not yeah. looking rightfully. So uh, then applied again in 2014, got another, eh, sorry, not looking. Uh, I ended up celebrating three birthdays there. I got married there. I mean, the Bronx Brewery has just been a part of my life in, in, in the past five years in a big way. Um, so on the third, you know, third strike, you're out, right? <laughs> I took one more swing at the ball and uh, ended up, you know, getting an opportunity created for me that wasn't a role that they were necessarily recruiting for. Uh, and the rest is history, right? Being first yeah. Latino, uh, to work in what's traditionally a white space and mm-hmm. being able to bring the authenticity uh, of our borough, of our people into that space and really embrace it. Uh, has been awesome and you know now in the role that I'm in and the autonomy and, and the influence that I'm able to have uh, is, is special and um, you know we're doing things that no other brewery in the United States is probably doing and I'm I would argue that right salsa nights mm-hmm. uh, 
open mic nights. Uh, you know, we do a lot for charities and the communities and donating space and donating beer and, and whatnot. Um, it really is an, you know, all inclusive space and happy to call it my second home. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, to your question, it was a, a long time in the making uh, to get back to what I mm -hmm. studied and what I went to school for. Uh, and now I'm using my Cornell education more than ever uh, <laughs> in this uh, in this space and really excited about the growth that lies ahead for our business. Yeah, you mentioned your dad was in hospitality or food. Um, does, do you guys ever bump heads and be like, oh, yeah, that's the, the theory of what you learned at Cornell, but the real the real real. <laughs> uh, not really. You know, my dad worked in the hotel business. Okay. Um, but hospitality is hospitality, right? Yeah. You're, you're interfacing with people and you're trying to provide a positive uh, guest experience. And so my dad never had that formal hospitality education, um, but did very well in his career, mm -hmm. right? In this space. Um, I get more of the formal education and I'm able to lean into it here okay. and there. But at the end of the day, I just think it's personality that plays a big role into, you know, loving hospitality and having excitement to meet new people and being passionate about whatever product you're serving or whatever experience you provide. So now I, I, I guess short uh, answer, we, we have in butt heads and often <laughs> he'll be like, oh, you know, this is the way I used to do it. I'll be like, yeah, no, it's still the same thing, right? <laughs> Hospitality hasn't changed that much, right? Um, but some of like the financial processes and stuff, since mm -hmm. I'm more on the management side of things, um, from my Cornell education, I've been invaluable. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and before we go, real quick thing, what are three things people can take away that to keep salsa alive or do their own part to, in your personal view? Yeah, man. Uh, so one, I would say if you have kids, Make sure you have this music around them uh, in some shape or form. Um, two, I would say check out our website. Uh, there's a lot you can uh, learn there from the documentaries to some of the written works that we have up there and hopefully some of the things that are to come in the future. Uh, and three, you know, I would advocate within you know, your schools or your communities to have more cultural sessions related to salsa, um, you know, in the summer, there's always a lot with Orchard Beach and the park, St. Mary's, Cortona and whatnot. Uh, you have stuff at Lincoln Center. But um, if you guys advocate for this, particularly in your schools, hopefully, you know, the Salsa Project could kind of fill that void one day. So those would be the three things. Advocating, going on website, learning more and just having the music uh, around you know, yourself and, you know, the youth that you encounter um, and sharing more about you know, how rich this music is and the importance it has for our community. Well, well, no, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And um, we will definitely keep up abreast on, on the next projects with the Salsa Project. And, you know, I'll, I'll try to, I don't know if I'll be able to go to the event on the 22nd because I'm usually helping my dad prepare the pig for, uh, for um, Noche Buena. But, you know, roasting the vanilla. Yeah, <laughs> everything the Cajachina and we got it all. He He's very good chef i didn't uh, inherit those those traits <laughs> my brother did but but definitely i love the the eating part of it <laughs> but yeah no and, and the salsa project is anything we can do to keep it alive i definitely have to check out the bronx brewery a few friends haven't told please, me man, about please. it i just haven't um ventured out into the bronx as much oh, as i dude, want to it's three stops from manhattan yeah. it's probably my biggest challenge is getting people there uh, but when they come they feel at home um and we just actually 
partnered with a local food vendor, Empanology. Um, oh. So we'll have food there for the next two months, probably longer, but that's kind of the pilot right now, um, serving up delicious empanadas and sliders. Oh, and, perfect uh, beer food. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. And, and their stuff is quality. So we have that. And um, we just made a beer with Jesus and Mero. Oh, so that's cool. launching next Friday. So a lot of cool stuff happening, and uh, we would love to have you um, up there. So whether it's a salsa project event or Bronx Brewery, please come up and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, really appreciate it. Um, it's always tough to get someone to uh, take a chance and amplify your voice a little bit. So hopefully for those listening, uh, follow us on Instagram uh, at the salsa project NYC uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and you could go on our website at www.thesalsaprojectnyc.com. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, hope you could support the work that we're doing. Thank you to Plataforma Latino for having us and Osvaldo. Uh, great conversation and que viva la salsa! Que viva la salsa! Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit subscribe and of course follow us on IG, Facebook, and all their social media platforms at Platform Latino. That's P L A T F O R M L A T I N O. Thanks again and have a wonderful and inspired day. Mm-hmm.